Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Michael Kramer, an athlete, surfer, and sailor, was diagnosed with a rare aggressive cancer on July 14, 2020. He was only 19 years old. From day one, Michael and his mom, Ashley, have embraced sharing this life-changing experience and the lessons they have learned through social media and their podcast, Michael and Mom Talk Cancer. You guys, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank, thank you, for, you. Thank you for having yes, us. Yes. We're so excited and honored to be here. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I want you to know I've already added your podcast to my list of podcasts. So Whoa. I already like hit subscribe. I was like, oh, I need to listen. Um, Amazing. All right. So Amazing. this is a very recent diagnosis. So can you take us back about two and a half years? So, you know, however long before the diagnosis you were very active, Michael. Yes. Did you have any symptoms? I mean, what, what sort of started you down the path here? I had a, I had a lot of symptoms. And as you stated, I was very active. And that was the hard part because I was getting really, really tired. And for me, someone who was very active, I was not feeling like myself at all. Like I would go and I'd work out with my friend and I was feeling really, really tired. And usually when I would work out with my friend, we push each other and he had to like push me and I was not able to keep up with him. I'm going to interject. This was actually starting. This was when COVID hit. So this was happening in the spring of 2020. So everything was shut down and we were also confined to our apartment. So mom is thinking, well, my poor kid is just cabin fever, stuck home from college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I was feeling really, really tired. And it was, you know, Miami, where we live in Miami, it's hot. And, you know, the sun comes down on your windows in the mornings. And I was having night sweats. And so when I woke up in the morning, I'd be sweating. And I kind of just thought, you know, I'm, I guess I'm getting older. And maybe night sweats are a thing that happens when you get <laughs> Not older. menopause. To, 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 young, to young adults, male kids? I don't think so. No, no, no. I don't know. See, <laughs> see I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking straight but i was just like okay maybe this is just something happening to me i've never had night sweats rac wasn't that good in the morning when the sun was coming through (laughs) yeah something like that and i started to realize that was just not normal like at all and then that went on for like a few months like really just tired night sweats and then once i started to get fevers you know every couple days i was like okay this is an issue and the main thing that i noticed that i've actually never heard anyone else say is that I would go and I would take a shower, right? In the shower, I would put super hot. And once I would get out of the shower, I would be, it would be, I would be so cold. Like I would put on jackets after, like for some reason, I would be always cold. Like it was summer in Miami and I would walk outside and sometimes I would be cold. It was insane. Like my body, something was off with like my body temperature. And I just was like, this is just the weirdest feeling I've ever had. This is not me. It was, it was mostly the tired and then the night sweats. When the fevers hit, really that week, that's when we 
called the doctor. I really did think, I mean, we made a funny TikTok about it. I actually thought it was COVID Yeah. because at that time getting tested for COVID, like the lines where you would be waiting like from, right. you know, 5 a.m. until 5 p.m. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just COVID. And, but when, and so when the fevers hit is when we reached out to his doctor and she is a pediatrician, but she's like a family doctor. We reached out to her and he went and did uh, just a blood test. She's like, we, we did it like this. We did a little zoom and she was like, you look good, but let's do a blood test. And that's when we found out, oh, there's it. our cat just oh, that's so wants to be part of this always. Oh, Whenever so we're sweet. on anything, she wants to be there. My, mine's over here. She hasn't zoom you know, bombed or podcast bombed yet, but she's over there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So she runs blood work. What came back in that blood work that sounded the alarm? So it was low hemoglobin, okay. um, very, very low platelets. And I think it was high white blood cells. Yeah. And uh, typical, like high like, white, typical, like, high white know, blood cells. Pre-cancer, like So you were fighting something. Yeah, Your body exactly. was fighting really hard. And you she were really anemic. Yeah, he he was really anemic. Very anemic. Yeah, like I remember getting the blood work done and being in her office and just seeing stars everywhere when I looked up and I was like, "Yeah, this is really weird." Well, and then we also we were like, well, maybe he just that weekend we're like, "I'm gonna give him more iron." It seems like he's anemic. Maybe it's you know he's just not getting enough iron. I'm like, have some almonds and dark chocolate let's see if, <laughs> let's see if that works yeah i was actually eating dark chocolate like i'm not even kidding i was eating like dark that weekend chocolate. we're like well maybe maybe this will help and when she she actually called me on the monday he did the blood work on friday she called me on monday and i've known her for years she's she was their pediatrician from the time they were little and um she's like ashley i i want you to bring michael in something's off with his blood work she didn't really it didn't scare me when she spoke to me. She said, I have a friend that's a specialist. I'm going to call him. And actually, though, he is at Miami Children's Hospital or Nicholas Children's Hospital, which is pediatric. She said, so I'm going to call him and see if he'll see Michael because Michael just turned 19. Okay. And so she's like, I'm going to call you right back. She calls him. She calls me back. She's like, they're waiting for your call. And I was like, do you think he needs to see a specialist? But I didn't really realize he was an oncologist kind of blood specialist. So she's like, they, I called, they said, come in right now. So I said, okay, I call, I was at, I was working. I was at my studio working. I called Michael. I said, kiddo, we need to just go. We're going to go see a specialist. No big deal. Go and pick him up. We, I'll let, I'll let Michael talk next. Yeah. Yeah. We went to, you know, the hospital and I wasn't even thinking anything. And literally it was oncology hematology office and then i got my blood work done and <clears throat> the doctor was like you know it's just a little it's a little funky i want you to stay here for a bone marrow biopsy like stay the night in the hospital and i was like i'm not spending the night in a hospital i know like, we were like he's i was like he's this? fine we'll go home and we'll come back tomorrow because i was like well he's he seemed fine i mean right. fever but you know, he still looked amazing. Yeah, and the next day we came back for the bone marrow biopsy and literally just like had the biopsy. I woke up and the next thing I know, the doctor walks in and says leukemia slash lymphoma. Yeah, it that's was. How he said it was it? no. Uh, that's not how he said it, Michael. Well, that's okay. That's <laughs> that's what Michael heard. That's what I heard because okay, I was waking okay, that's up. That's fair, right? I was waking <laughs> up from a bone marrow biopsy. I was very groggy. So what he actually said, my mom has told me. A, 
a million times is what you have is treatable. It is a form of leukemia slash lymphoma. No, he, and he was to this day, I, we love this man. He was so kind. He spent so much time. Yeah, no, he's he, amazing. He's amazing. And actually when he came in and he said, this is treatable, but yes, there you're, you're Michael, you have leukemia. And he said, it's possible it's lymphoma. When we heard lymphoma though, I'm just going to say one quick thing, not to be too yeah. much off, but my, my husband, his father passed away six years ago. He had large B cell lymphoma. So oh, um, when he said leukemia, that was already like, okay, scary. But when, and then he said possibly lymphoma, I, I think my heart just stopped because of course my husband, had, he just passed away six years ago. Well, at the time it was four years ago. Yeah, so now, it was, now it's it was six years. So it was still, fresh. yeah, four years is not a lot of time. No, so... But the wonderful thing, like, I, I do want to say that this doctor was amazing because then he started talking to us. He's like, we're going to admi admit Michael right now. We want to start uh, chemotherapy, hopefully tomorrow, but we need to know exactly what type of leukemia it is. He said, normally 24 hours will know. And he started talking, he like stayed in there for a while speaking to us. And Michael told him he was a surfer. And so... I'll let Michael tell the next part. <laughs> yeah, so I told him I was a surfer and that he didn't know the exact chemo I was going to be doing yet, but he was like, okay, you can have a, a port placed in because he knew if I was going to get a port, I could maybe go in the ocean doing in between my treatments when my counts were good enough. So I had a port placed in and I kind of spent the next week in the hospital and I still didn't figure out my diagnosis that whole week. I was just there getting blood transfusions, getting like platelets, getting tests, throwing up, feeling awful, losing a ton of weight. And they started me immediately on a medication called dexamethasone, which is a steroid, just because that's the only thing they could do because they didn't know my exact diagnosis yet. So they I, decided to combat the cancer right away because they needed I, to I'm start I'm sure something. that saved his life because what we found out later, three weeks later, when they did figure out what he had, was that this cancer, most people don't survive within, because they don't get diagnosed correctly and they don't get treatment since they're not diagnosed. And I am convinced that because he started Michael on the steroid, on dexamethasone, in the interim while he was waiting for the diagnosis, yeah. it saved him. And what was the exact cancer? What did it come back as? Hepatosplenic T-cell lymphoma. Wow. So you're, you're, I, I read about specific. your sister. Yeah. It I read is. about your sister with liver cancer. So it is. Spleen and liver. Yeah. And um, so you can relate. I'm but sure. It's but it's lymphoma. So but it's it, is a lim blood it is a lymphoma. Cancer. It's a blood cancer. It's, it's not the same. Cancer, yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, when we heard what it took, it took three weeks to figure it out because it's, I guess there's less than 200 documented cases ever. Uh, we Very didn't know rare kind of lymphoma, huh? It is. And wow. it's usually does not end well. So they didn't tell us that. And they said, don't Google it. <laughs> yes, they, <did. laughs> they were like, don't Google it. Just trust us if you can. Exactly. That's exactly what they said. It was, I never, I still have not like Googled the prognosis of it to this day. Good for you. Good for you. I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, not prognosis, but I've Googled, I've Googled a lot about it, but trying to be on the websites that are, you know, 
more accurate. I don't, I don't, I never saw a point of Googling it. Yeah. There was well, no point. Once you got the diagnosis three weeks later, what did the treatment plan look like? He was immediately just like, we need to get you into remission with two to six cycles of chemotherapy. And then you have a bone marrow transplant. Like the only, you know, way to get this cancer to go away is with a transplant. Other than that, the cancer will come back a hundred percent of the time. So it was like really fast, really fast pace. He was just like, like, you're going to have like cycles of chemo and there's like no break. Like we're just, as soon as your counts recover, you're back to chemo. It was just the most intense treatment I can get in the shortest amount of time. Because what's weird about this, well, what's weird, because this cancer is rare, there's not a protocol. I'm sure you know, because you have done so much in the cancer world, you know that every cancer has a, a protocol. There's no protocol. Right. For this, for this one, there's not a protocol. It's kind of that doctors talk and they say, what are we going to try? And they tried to give him the most intense thing they could give him. I remember he started chemo on a Monday and I remember on the Wednesday him like rushing into the room, handing me a piece of paper, like a printout from an article that he read saying, I just found this article. And I was talking to some other doctors about it and we're going to add this chemo on Friday because it's been shown to possibly work. And, you know, that's how it was. It was kind of like that for his treatment. There's since and we, I loved that, that he was so like searching. They, he had a group chat with five other doctors around the country about Michael. They were, he was, yeah, he was so, I felt him very humble. Um, talking to, he reached out to other doctors and that, that made for this journey to be, there was like a team and the whole team at Nicholas, they worked together. They had meetings about Michael. It was, it was yep. very, um, I don't know. It, it reassured us a lot that there was a team behind him. It wasn't one person being like God. Yeah. Wow. So how many rounds of chemotherapy did you end up doing? So I, I had three rounds of chemotherapy before I was admitted to my, for my transplant. And there were 21 day cycles each. So it was just like three months of, of chemo until my transplant. So tell me about getting ready for the transplant and how did you find a donor? Mm -hmm. So I found a donor from, from Be The Match, which is like a organization as I'm sure you know, be the master amazing. They match people with donors and they luckily, did try. They tried with his siblings. I have, yeah. I have a son and a daughter as well. And then also my mom, but she was unfortunately too old. You have and to they be... won't usually do a parent unless they're desperate. Yeah, exactly. And my brother was a 50% match and my sister was not a match at all. So they didn't go for that at all. But luckily I had a few donors that were matches to me. One of them was a girl, but then she had, she backed out because she was pregnant. And then luckily there's a guy in Germany who I think he was like a 40 year old man who was a hundred percent match for me and he pulled through. So that was amazing. And ever since I was diagnosed, like from the beginning, like they were already looking for matches. Like it wasn't like yeah. right when I was in remission, it was like, they knew I needed a transplant. So as soon as I was diagnosed, I was put on the registry. They were talking to, you know, people everywhere, trying to find me a match, sending my blood places, like sending everything all around just to try to make sure I had a match. And the preparation for the transplant was like 
so many tests. You know, you have to do like probably every single imaginable hospital test that you can do, every single blood test possible, like all like the EKGs, like the echoes, like MRIs, CAT scans, like ultrasounds, like PFTs, PFTs, like literally every (laughs) test you can probably think of that there is in the health world you do before a transplant. Plus he was going to do radiation. Well, he did radiation. Yeah. So then there was the visit at a different before hospital. Before the transplant? Yeah. Yeah. And they had yeah. to wipe out my bone marrow with um, radiation, total body radiation and lung blasts. And then I had uh, chemo as well, chemotherapy before his course. A of fun course. chemotherapy. Have you heard of ATGAM? I think I've heard of that one. No. Ooh, is that the brand name one. or is that generic name? That sounds like a brand. I think it's stands for something. And it's ATG. It's, um, it's, I think it stands for something. And it's like this really cool chemo from, it's from a horse it's from because a horse, they inject basically. like antibodies into the horse and then that it like produces wild. the chemo. It is, it is well, and it's a little bit controversial because it is so intense. Like one of the bone marrow transplant doctors was kind of iffy about it. And the other one was like, I really think we should do it. They kind of came to a vote and decided to go for it because it is very harsh, but did it. Yeah. When did you have the bone marrow transplant? (laughs) October 27th of 2020. The same year. Wow. I mean, they did hustle. They yeah, they, well, then you have to hustle to, with this cancer. If you don't hustle, you're 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 gone. Like it's true. It's pretty much an eight month, which we didn't know at the time again. But it's pretty much usually it's like eight months, and so that within you, within that you serve like you're given to live once since diagnosis, right. like yeah. average. So he was really, he also probably being an athlete, being healthy, had never been sick before. Who knows? That helped I mean, a lot. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm sure it helped. That's what they kept yeah. saying to us is the fact that he came into this with no childhood illnesses, had never spent the night in a hospital before this in his life, you know, born with a midwife, like never in a hospital. So it was kind of, um, that was a blessing that he'd never been sick before. Yeah. And they kept. So you're coming up on an anniversary then. Two yeah, years. almost two years. Yeah, I know. So, talk to me about the bone marrow transplant itself, and what did that recovery look like, and what was it like for you, Michael? But also, what was it like for you, Ashley? So, the bone marrow transplant itself, I was—I remember I was admitted to the hospital, and I had to do radiation. And at the hospital, I was treated at Nicholas Children's. They didn't do radiation there, so for the first four days that I did radiation, I had to wake up at. 5 a.m. and be taken in an ambulance to a different hospital like 30 minutes away do the radiation stay there all day and then come back in the evening to Nicholas Children's and I did that for four days and after four days of radiation I I done 12 sessions eight sessions of total body radiation and four sessions of lung blast and then after that I had a you know a a quote-unquote like day off like in (laughs) they call they called it a day of recovery a day of recovery which (laughs) one day one day that's it I I did not recover during that day I was vomiting for sure (laughs) but after that you know marvelous day I um I had chemotherapy for like the next couple days the ACAM that we were talking about the ACAM and again there was like a bunch of other chemos but I forget their names. They're the more I think you had methotrexate. Methotrexate at a very high high dose, and then it was the day of the transplant, October twenty seventh, and there was just a little bag of stem cells that were infused into me, and I was given like 
the max amount of Benadryl ever, and I was just half asleep. It was the most anticlimactic thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> but they warned us. They were like, it's going to be anticlimactic. You're going to see it's just like getting blood. And it's so strange, right? Because I've seen photos of people getting BMTs. And I was stunned the first time I saw a photo because that's yeah. exactly how I would describe it. It is anticlimactic. It is. But I will tell you this. So because Michaels came from overseas and he had a one week delay because he did need a little bit more recovery before radiation. So they had to freeze the bone marrow. They, well, it was actually stem cells, not bone marrow. So they sent it overseas to us and instead of getting it fresh, which is not a big deal, but what the preservative that they put in Oh, leave a stench oh, in the room. Oh my god, the horrible. smell for like 48 hours. It's this it's this smell of like like canned tomato sauce, but like the can. It's like it's um and it was just like coming out of his pores and I was like, "Wow, that's not what I expected." <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that wasn't that wasn't even the hard part. The hard well, part no. is the, the days after, you know, I'd say like 4 days after your transplant is that's why when it gets because that's Tell when all the chemo hits and you hit your low and that's when um i had i would vomit like 20 times a day at least i was on a, a, a drip of morphine for pain because i couldn't i would wake up in the middle of the night and i would feel like i couldn't breathe because my throat was so closed off with sores that i would need to push my morphine to swallow just to swallow Swallowing hurts so much. I remember I'd wake up in the night and be like, <gasps> and have to like push it to just to swallow. My mouth would get so dry because I wasn't swallowing because it hurts so much with the mouth sores. And I had sores everywhere. Like the sores were horrible in my mouth. And I was vomiting so, so much that I, I popped blood vessels in my eyes. I was wearing an eye patch. I could barely see, like I w it was like foggy everywhere. I was shaky. I could barely write. I, w I used to write in a diary every day and use my phone, but I wasn't even able to look at my phone for day for like weeks because it was just like, you know, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't see. I was just so shaky and nauseated and it How was- How long were you in the hospital? I was hospitalized for about six weeks. Wow. And I then I got a thing called engraftment syndrome and I had like extreme, extreme pain, like in my lower back and it was like it felt like something was like taking over my my body like it was like excruciating pain it was awful was it some sort of rejection of the bone marrow initially so it yeah. it is it's different from gvhd so okay. he has also been through a lot of gvhd which is graft versus host disease and grafman syndrome um i actually have looked it up to really understand it is a little yeah. bit mysterious they're not exactly clear and it doesn't happen to everyone but when he did engraft it's basically when you engraft that your body it is similar to gvhd your body kind of rejects so in, in gvhd it's the new bone marrow rejecting your organs with engraftment syndrome it's what's left of you rejecting the new bone marrow and what it does is it just causes inflammation so what happened to Michael, and this is the part that I saw as a caregiver that he didn't see, but he's seen videos because I did do some video, is when he started engraftment syndrome, at first I thought it was, I don't want to say funny because I'm not trying to be light about it, but a, a little bit, like he would be asleep and he would lift up his hand 
and he would like swipe on, like as if he were holding his phone and he would start swiping on his phone. He would put down his phone and he would pick up an imaginary fork and, and eat, but miming, okay? So he was, start, he was having hallucinations with his eyes closed, but he would open his eyes and he would say, wait, I, I'm here. And he would know where he was. So that was when the inflammation started. The fear is that if your brain swells, if your lungs swell, but again, they put him on steroids and this time it was a different one. It was prednisone at a very high dose and it saved him again. Within 24 hours, the inflammation started coming down. He wasn't hallucinating. Um, yeah, that was that was scary for me. I, I have looked back at some videos I did because we did start to document this journey. At one point, I would say after he had been maybe a second cycle of chemo, we started like documenting it more, even just for us. And I looked back on videos and I have videos of me on like day 10, which was that day. Just, I can see my, I, I look, I look a hundred years old, you know, watching my son go through this. And that, that was a very scary day. And I, I remember when Michael was talking about mouth sores, some of the nurses, we, we asked them, what's the BMT going to be like? And they're like, oh my gosh, the worst thing is the mouth sores. And they were honest. Well, yes. But the thing was, Michael and I were like, pshaw, you've had so many mouth sores with, you know, with chemo. You dealt with them fine. If that's the worst thing, BMT is going to be so easy. But the mouth sores really were worse than he's even saying, because imagine down your mouth through your intestines, all the way through. So anything your body takes in or exits is, is, is going through those sores. And of course I was watching it, but I could see the pain. And we, we told the doctors and I, we were like, you need the more, they were like, Ashley, he didn't want a morphine drip. No, I didn't. He did not. He was like, I want to feel, you know, I don't want to not feel myself. And we kind of convinced him. And then he was very grateful <laughs> because wow. Oh, yeah. So I, I, it reminds me of a, a little girl I met while my sister was in the hospital. They briefly shared a room and she was eight and um, her family had been warned about mouth sores, but it wasn't really explained that the sores can go all the way through yeah. the way you just described so beautifully your digestive tract, tract. And so she didn't have any obvious mouth sores in her mouth, but she did in her rectum. Yes. And she would scream. I, I was in, yeah, I was in so much, like going to the bathroom every day when I would have to go, you know, take a, have a bowel movement. It was the most painful part of my day. Yeah. It, it felt, it. I don't even want to describe it to the people listening, but I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, because they, obviously he wasn't eating at that point. He was on TPN, which is, um, you know, he was getting IV nutrition. So he didn't, I mean, you still have to swallow. So that helped a little bit, but you, when you have to still go to the bathroom, you know, there's nothing. Yeah. 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 What about your siblings, Michael? What, what was that like for them? And again, from your point of view, but then Ashley also from your point of view. From my point of view, um, my sister was not able to visit me in the hospital and cause she was not 18 yet. She was 17 and. I'm sure that was so hard because my brother was able to visit. He was 21 at the time and 
you know, he was able to come every day. He came almost. What's the age restriction about? It was because of COVID. It was because of COVID. They only wanted like, quote unquote, like parents to come. And because my father passed away, my brother was kind of filling in as my dad. So it would be my mom and, and my brother that would come, that would be there every day. And my sister, she was, you know, she was at home alone. My mom couldn't leave me. And she'd be with my brother, of course, of course, with my brother. But, you know, Stephen would go to the hospital and, and she would be at home. And she, of course, would get updates from him and mom would text her. But she really didn't know what was going on. She was going through a, a time in her life when, you know, you're growing up around that age. You're in high school and she really just was alone. And I felt like it must have been so hard. And that was probably the hardest time of her life. Yeah, she was she was 16 and literally when Michael yeah, was 16, diagnosed. Sorry. Yeah, no sorry. it's okay. When Michael was diagnosed, she got her driver's license and it was COVID. So it was we we felt really blessed because we had heard of other adult patients in adult hospitals that were alone. We oh, we yeah. knew someone Michael's age that was 19 diagnosed with cancer in an adult hospital mother couldn't visit no visitors. So we were very blessed to be in a pediatric hospital where I I was with him 24-7. I mean, I'm very grateful because FaceTime, I mean, we FaceTime with Jennifer constantly and a lot of, you know, I, I'm so grateful for that. Stephen would come every day. He would be at home with her at night and sleep. And I'm very grateful. My daughter is a dancer. So she went to dance every day and that saved her. And I was really blessed that when he went in for the BMT is when they went back in person to dance. So it kind of like that. I felt like that was like God saving my daughter because she could at least wow. go and dance. And then she would end up getting home the same time as Stephen from the hospital. So they'd eat dinner together, but a 16 year old and, and at the time, you know, Stephen had just turned 21. They were, they were living at home on their own and not on their own, but on their own, you know? Right. So that was hard. And I remember there was one day, it was a Sunday and um, a couple of the nurses were like, we can sneak in Jennifer. We're going to sneak her in today. Oh. Yeah. Like we know the security, we knew all, I knew all the security guards anyway. And, um, and I was like, Jennifer, you can come. And I remember that day just sitting and like seeing my three kids in the same room. And this was after his engraftment syndrome. So he was doing a little bit better, not great, but you know, better. And he was talking and more mobile. And I was just like, I think that was one of the happiest days of my life was seeing him alive and the three kids in the same room. Didn't matter. We were in a hospital. Nothing mattered except that like we were all together. And that day is so clear to me. Yeah. It was a big. I hope you took a photo. Oh, yeah. It was a great day. Yeah. That's great. I love it. Yes. When did you get or did you get that news? They hate to say cure, but did you get that no evidence of disease? Um, it was before my my uh, transplant, like right when they were doing biopsies before to make sure. And honestly, I haven't done a, a, a bone marrow biopsy since before my transplant. But I'm, the thing no, is, no, I've no. done I've done liver biopsies. Yes. 
and I've done multiple scans. So they know that I'm clear. So as of now, but the, the, the real news was, it was probably a, a day, a hundred of my transplant. You know, usually they do a bunch of tests then and my labs were all, all looking good. And, you know, I knew I was, I was, um, I was clear, but that wasn't really the best. It was good news, but the issue was at the time I was going through so much GVHD that being clear was like something that was like, okay, that fine, I'm clear, but I'm still going through such a hard time after my transplant that I didn't really, I wasn't like, oh, amazing. I'm like cured <laughs> because of course you're supposed, of course I'm very grateful, but at the time the GVHD, it, it was, it was so bad after the transplant that I wasn't even focused on the cancer. I was just focused on trying to live through the GVHD. Still to, to this day, Michael's still in treatment for GVHD, which is graft versus host disease. Yeah, I was at the hospital today getting extra corporal photophoresis, which is a treatment for graft versus host disease. Yeah. So two years later, he's still on immunosuppressants. We're still living a little bit like COVID people. <laughs> we still wear masks and we still don't hang out with groups. Yeah. Um, so I, it's so, it's such a weird thing. Like when you say remission or no evidence of disease, I'm sure, you know, cause you're, you're in this, you know, a hundred percent, a thousand percent, but it doesn't mean it, it's good. It's good. But there's so many other things that happen after that and complications. And I'm so grateful he's alive. He's alive over two years later and he's doing beautifully, but last year he spent five months in the hospital from November of 2021 until the end of April of 2022 fighting with his liver failing on the verge of getting a liver transplant but even that he wouldn't have been able to handle things have turned around obviously because we're sitting here today with smiles on our faces but it's been um yeah and there's always just that little piece of you that's like okay we you know then there's the side effects of what can come up later from chemo and radiation and all of that. Wow. So you spent more time in the hospital recently than you did getting your bone marrow transplant. Way more. Like after the transplant was the hardest part for me. I mean, you know, immediately when I was discharged, you know, I went home for a few days and I came back with skin GVHC. Then I went home and then on Christmas day, I was admitted for um, GI DVHD. And then the next few months I was in the hospital three times a week and then admitted again for liver GVHD and then a vascular necrosis, which is my bones collapsing because of the prednisone that I was then on. And then it was ECP and then it was admitted again. And I've just been in and out of the hospital since my transplant so much that it's been to me, this is the post transplant recovery has been way harder than the actual transplant itself, which I know sounds a little crazy, but it's, it's true. Do you still have a port? Of course. Yes. Accessed. I got it multiple times today. <laughs> well, twice, a, at least twice a week right now. Yeah. I have a, I have a double port. It's a yeah. vortex port for, um, the phoresis I do. He's an Avenger. Yeah. I had phoresis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is kind of what it looks like. Right. The, the very first time I saw Iron Man, that's what it made me think of. I was like, all he needs is tubes coming out. And that, got, literally. Yeah. He's got the port. Yeah. Exactly. So tell me, and this question goes to both of you. We're going to start with you, Ashley. What's one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? Um, 
I have a feeling Michael's going to have a similar answer. I shouldn't say that. That's but okay. But I think, I think, I wish I had known how much time, patience, how long it was going to go. I think part of us, and this is no one's fault. This is just you know they give you okay. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be these three to six rounds of chemo. After that, we're going to get him into remission, transplant, transplant. After day one hundred. We're going to start loosening up on all of the restrictions. Um, he's going to be coming to the hospital three days a week, and then it will be two days a week, then it'll be one day a week, then it'll be once every two weeks. And it was kind of laid out that within a year, no one's fault again, but within a year that we thought we'd be back to, I don't want to say normal who we were before, but back to a normal life, you know? And it's over two years later and I will say the second year was much harder. We spent so much time in the hospital. I, we saw him almost pass away multiple times the second year. And we're still in the hospital four days a week. <laughs> so, and it's gonna, this is gonna sound so weird. I mean, I'm very grateful for, in a way for everything he's been through because it has just made him into this man that is beyond He's a grandpa, but in the best way, <laughs> a grandpa, because he's so full of, of wisdom. <laughs> yes, that's what she likes to call I always me. call him the grandpa. You're um, called the grandpa now. Oh, yeah. I call I myself it. a grandpa. He's a grandpa. Oh, my like, goodness. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. But <laughs> I think I, I think part of me wishes, you know, I knew how intense and long it was going to be. But then again, if I knew that. Hmm. Would it have been good to know that? I don't know. Yeah. So um, I have, I have the same exact answer. I'm like, sorry. I, I honestly would not <laughs> change anything okay. because if I knew exactly what I knew today, it would have made the journey so much harder. Yeah. I think doctors t do that on purpose. They don't tell you everything that can happen because if you think of everything that can happen and what happened to me, you would just be completely discouraged from the start. So it's always hard when people ask me, oh, I do, I'm newly diagnosed. Can you give me advice? I'm like, I usually just want to say, like, you're going to learn as you, you go through it because everyone's situation is so different. And if I tell you what happened to me, it's just going to freak you out because I've had all these crazy complications that not everyone gets. So honestly, I'd just be like, you know, just take it one day at a time because that's all you really can do. And everyone always says, take it one day at a time. But it's really all you can do when you live a life like this. Yeah, we, we used to we used to laugh like people say one day at a time and you're like, oh, my God, it's so annoying. But it, it really is like true. So you can't get that annoyed. You know, it's like when your mom tells you something that, you know, she's right, but it still annoys the crap out of you. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like that. The one day at a time, like, OK, we know. And but it, it is it is true. It is true. Yeah, and I think until you experience it, you don't know how true that is. Yeah. You don't know that you do. Just take it day by day. Yeah. All right, Michael, this one's for you first. So if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a loaded... <laughs> President Kramer, that is, what and would you, you only do? get one. <laughs> I only get oh, one thing. Hmm. Okay, so... Everyone gets a lollipop. Okay, so what I would do is okay, so what I would do is this. I know everyone wants to probably talk about how to make it more affordable, but I actually am grateful that we just at least get healthcare here because there's a lot of countries where people don't get healthcare 
at all and they have to pay up front. So I know it's crazy expensive, but what I would change is the way adult hospitals are, specifically adult hospitals. I would make them much more friendly to adults, less, you know, just beige plain walls. I would make them more artistic and I would make them like children's hospitals, just beautiful and have lots of things like art therapy and more things available for the adults because I've been admitted at both hospitals and I feel that the adult world needs such a change and the, the pediatric world is just like amazing and the adult world is just disgusting and dry and no wonder everyone there is depressed because it's just horrible and I would change adult hospitals. Say what you really think, Michael. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's that's true. true but that's such an interesting observation because... It's true. I would change that. Because that's... No, I love it. And, and by the way, I don't think in over 100 plus interviews, anyone's ever said that. Wow. So really insightful. Same question for you, Ashley. One thing. I... My... You would change. Gosh, I think Michael has the best one. It's true that for us, we get a lot of very high bills and we've been lucky that they're staying to the side right now and he's still treated. So our experience has been a lot of gratitude that he's still been treated, even though it's been challenging. Um, if I had a magic wand, can I have a magic wand and change something? You can have a magic okay. wand. Okay, so the magic wand would be that like all these kids young adults, people that go through chemo don't have the lasting side effects forever that haunt mm. them. Because, yeah. you know, you always say, you, uh, now on Instagram, I follow everyone with cancer stories, of course, and everyone's always posting, you know, find new treatments for kids without these side effects. And we've seen it. We've seen so many kids with side effects. We see him with avascular necrosis, you know, he has his bones crumbling and yeah. So that's if I had a magic wand. Oh, I love that one too. I'm not sure anyone said that either. Oh, that's you guys are so cool. Wow, awesome. So Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's lighten things up. <laughs> are you guys ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Yes. Bum, 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 bum. Okay. And we're going to try to do it rapidly, and I'm not going to comment at all. So. Oh gosh. I'm so, terrible about uh, not commenting, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, and let's do Ashley, then Michael, if that's okay with Michael. Okay. Does that sound good? Okay. Age so before beauty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Ashley? Beach. Okay. Beach. Michael? Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? <gasps> all three. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> Or Michael? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Michael, I want you to say the word for your mother. Oh, the word for my mom? Okay. Mm -hmm. What's one word that best describes your mom? Oh, my God. Loving. Aww. Oh, okay. Ashley, what's one word that best describes Michael? Resilient. Good. Okay. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear, Ashley? Prince, When Doves Cry. Oh, good song. We are of the same generation, clearly. So, <laughs> Michael. Tell Me About Tomorrow by Jaden. Oh, good song. Okay. 
What about the last meal you want to eat? Who? Who goes first? Ashley. <laughs> okay, there's a Lebanese restaurant in Paris where my husband and I used to always go. He was French. It's called Nora. Best food ever. Haven't eaten there in years. That would be my choice. Wow. Okay. Michael. Yeah. Uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I've I raised him poorly. What? No, no, Chick-fil-A is the best. Yeah, it on. is. It is. All right. Uh, before you die, the last person or people you want to see, Michael. My mom, of course. My brother, my sister, my grandmother, and my grandmother's boyfriend. <laughs> so sweet. Ashley, what about you? He he copied off of me. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he copied. Those are mine. My three kids, my mom and, and her boyfriend, who is like my my father. Oh, yes. that's so sweet. Yeah. And Ashley, what about the last words you will speak? I love you. Michael? I tried, guys. I really did. Oh, so good. All right. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people about your podcast. I would recommend Michael and Mom Talk Cancer.com. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I love the website. And the podcast is available across all platforms. Yes. And it's on the website. Great. There's a lot on the website blog, doing some videos, but also LLS has been amazing for us. LLS. I know what that is, but tell people what that yes. is. Yes. So it's the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and they have done a lot. I would also recommend them. I know it's blood cancers, um, but they have a lot of resources. Although I do think that Michael and mom have some pretty good resources too. Plus we have some rap songs out, which are really fun to oh listen my to. God. Yeah, we do. <laughs> some like hospital raps. You need to listen. I think oh that Andrea, gosh. you would you would appreciate it. Yeah, they're great. I, I would because I cannot sing. So um, karaoke is a little challenging, but, but I can rap. rap. I can rap actually pretty well. And so oh. my friends think it's hilarious that at karaoke, I'm like, nope, rap, please. Yes. <laughs> I, okay. Well, you will appreciate them. We have, I think we have five. I now. will. We have five now. So Oh my out. gosh. I will check them out. <laughs> so we will make sure there are links in the show notes and the workshop notes. You guys are so awesome. And I Aww. promise you, I don't say that every single time. Aww. And I just love this opportunity to have the both of you. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing no, your story. Thank, thank you, you. You're awesome. When when I emailed you and you emailed me back, I was like, Michael, she emailed me back. I'm so excited. <laughs> we listened to your podcast and I was like, oh yeah. my God. I was like, this woman is amazing. Yes. So thank you for everything that you yeah, do. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We're, yes. we're so beyond grateful. Yes. Oh gosh, you guys are so welcome. We were super excited. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. 
You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.